Father, we just declare what a beautiful, beautiful name, the name of Jesus. We thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus and that we can call on you. And God, you listen and you hear us when we do. We thank you for joining us here, Lord. We thank you for who you are. And we pray this morning that you'd speak to us through your word. God, speak to our hearts this morning. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alan, would you put in the hopper Romans chapter 8, please, sir? Romans chapter 8. Recent events surrounding violence at churches and other public places have brought to the foreground the need to prepare ourselves. It is crucial that we maintain a safe and secure campus in which to worship together and that our visitors always feel welcome. In a very dark world, the need to share Jesus should always take center stage, but at the same time, and often in order to carry out that mission, we need to prepare ourselves for the what-ifs. Recently, we have been reminded that we live in a world which at time does not show favor to the Lord or his people. Make no mistake about it, this is the first and foremost of spiritual battle. 1 Peter 5.8 warns us about our enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is very real, and the first step in preparedness is recognizing what types of events might happen and having a plan to deal with them. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 11 and continuing through verse 18, speaks of spiritual warfare and the need to prepare ourselves for battle, spiritually putting the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. We must likewise prepare ourselves physically by being alert and educating ourselves on both the possibilities as well as the possibilities of certain types of events while our trust is always in the Lord. The scriptures teach us to be responsible and plan. We should always be aware of our surroundings, make wise choices, and be on the alert. We also may need training on some things to help us in case of any emergency situation. This is not limited to the types of events that occurred last week in Sutherland Springs, but in a variety of other situations as well. We want you to know that the elders and staff have been praying about how best to protect our church members and guests for a long time. We continue to discuss and address potential issues using current resources to safeguard our people. If you're interested in knowing more, we will have avenues for that in the future. If you have concerns or would like to speak with a staff member about this, please do so. We are here to help. Church family, we choose to talk about this, not to frighten each other, but instead to find ways to look out for each other, whether in a church on Sunday or out in the community during the week. Our Father wants us to be able to defend ourselves both spiritually and physically, so that we can continue on in mission serving and loving others. Thank you. Um, just additional comment that I'd like to make to that. Uh, I don't consider us a soft target, and I consider us um, a little more uh, prepared than that. Also, I can't imagine <clears throat> the turmoil in people's lives in Sutherland today. I can't imagine the hurt on the pastor and his wife losing their daughter, and of course, their church family. Uh, we all understand uh, how important church family is. But these are the days in which we live, and so we must be prepared. So uh, when you come to church, be alert. When you go anywhere now, be alert. Know where the exits are. Know what your surroundings are recognize what's going on and we're in that day and time and I have no uh, I have no comfort in thinking that that will improve 
I think that we will continually be in those kinds of situations. Lord, lead and guide us today. May the word that you want presented today penetrate our hearts. May your spirit reveal and guide. Help us to hear clearly. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Sutherland. We pray for the pastor and his wife. We pray for the grieving of the loss of their daughter. I pray, Father, for all the funerals. I pray for the emotional and spiritual toll it's going to take on this community. I just pray, Lord, that, that as you are faithful to your word, that you'll show us clearly all those who observe that you are at work, that you are almighty, and there's none like you. And so we praise you and we, we exalt you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There is no commendation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. None. Zero. Zip. So now... So now, because of Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Through Jesus, we receive the life-giving spirit that sets us free from sin, from all traps. From all traps sets us free. It sets us free from opinions. It sets us free from circumstances. It sets us free even from ourselves. When we ourselves, because of poor choices, wrong opinions, put ourselves locked in a box, it sets us free. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So a great change occurred through the gift of Jesus our Lord. We went from being in bondage to sin to being set free from this bondage of sin. And through faith in Him, we are justified, we are completely right with Him. And there is a declaration of the end to sin in control over our body. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. That's one of the main indicators that we find in Scripture. If we are in Christ, we begin to think about the things of Christ. If we are in flesh, if we are still in our sin, if we have not placed our faith and trust in Him, then we continue to think about sinful things. They have a hold in us. 
And so the transition is part of what God does in us to show us that we are his children. The transformation happens. We go from thinking about sinful things to thinking about spiritual things, things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And so at some point in our lives as Christians, there is a transition from living according to the things of the flesh to living according to the things of the Spirit, and the provision that God's made for us in Christ makes that possible. Impossible apart from faith in Christ, possible through what Christ has done for us. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. When you wake up in the morning and you don't want to do the things of God, that's your nature, hostile to God. We all struggle, have struggled, are struggling with a nature that is hostile to God, does not want to please God, wants to please ourselves. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. On our own, in our own flesh, not one of us will ever desire to please God. And so all the desires you have to please God, that's a result of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of them. If you have a desire to honor Him through an act of forgiveness, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have a desire in your life to love someone unconditionally, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. If there's a desire in your life to worship God with all of your heart, that's of the Holy Spirit. If there is a desire within your heart to pray for other people, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not the work of your flesh. Your flesh will not create that within you. Those desires do not come from our flesh. They come from the Spirit within us. That's how we know that those who are still under control of their sinful nature can never please God. Whose control are we under is a good question for us at verse 8. Are we under the control of the Holy Spirit or are we under the control of our flesh? 9 says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. It's either or. It's not partial. It's not halfway. It's not just that you have a little bit of Christ in you and a lot of, of the flesh in you, but either we have Christ or the flesh is in control of our bodies. He says, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And so it's not through our will that we come into a right standing with God. It cannot be by our will. It cannot be through human effort. It's impossible to happen through human effort. I think you can run a 5K through human effort. I think you can run a marathon through human effort. It may take a long time, but you can buffer your body and discipline yourself within good reason. If your old sticks will keep going, you might be able to run that marathon. You may be able to, to accomplish certain goals in your body, but accomplishing a goal of right standing with God through your own efforts and discipline is an absolute impossibility, according to what the Scripture here says. 
It comes through surrender. It comes through submissiveness to Him. It comes through faith in Him and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works. And verse 10 says, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Think about that. Let that soak in a little bit. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Things are not the same anymore. Things can't be the same anymore. If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you, it's not a boring life. It's not a life of just existence. It's not ho-hum. It can't be. It's not a life of doubt. It's not a life of despair. It's not a life of quit. It's not a life of give up. It's not a life of just endless routine. Because the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. There's hope. Never trapped. Never upside down. Never behind the eight ball. Never outnumbered. Physically, yes, outnumbered. But never outnumbered. We are an absolute powerful majority with God. We're outnumbered by people. We're outnumbered. As we live for Jesus, we'll find ourselves, as time goes on, being one of the few at work, one of the few at school, one of the few here, one of the few there. Only the few rising up. But with God, we're an absolute majority. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Mm. Our poor brothers and sisters just got up, had their coffee, had their breakfast, went to church, got their Sunday school lessons together, got their pieces of music together. I'm sure there was some cleaning done. There was this straightened out. They showed up at church. Business is normal. Just going about their day. Greeting each other. I'm sure they had a greeting time in there somewhere or another. I'm sure that they welcomed a guest here or there. I'm sure they talked about how the ball game went this past week. I'm sure they talked about his, his Aunt Lou over her flu and, and probably talked about this and that and the other like we all do every single week and how things completely turned upside down. And so this powerful Scripture is for this, this time it's for our people. It's for us today. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies regardless of what happens here. He will give life to your mortal bodies regardless of how unfair life is here. He will give life to your mortal bodies regardless of what kind of injustice is experienced here. 
by the same Spirit living within you. So the Spirit that lives in us rose Jesus from the dead and gives us bodies one day that will never wear out. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You can't blame the devil. You can't blame your flesh. There is a way out. The Scripture never told us that God will not put more on us than we can handle in far as problems because those four folks have more than they can handle. They all do. That's more than you can handle. None of us are able to handle that. But there is a way out. That, that Scripture is not towards problems. That Scripture is about temptation. You and I have no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not trapped to be like we've always been. We're not trapped to always be down. We're not trapped to always be behind or between a rock and a hard place. For, you, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For all who are led by the Spirit. So the Spirit comes along and lives within us, breaks the chain, the hold, the power, the authority, the hold that sin has over us. Our sinful nature is broken. We no longer have to live according to the urges of our flesh. And we begin to be led by that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. We call it sanctification, the big words in church. It's growing up in Christ. It's becoming more like Christ. It's transitioning from living according to what we think, according to what the Spirit says. It takes us from being someone that just exists to living through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost becomes our guide. The Holy Ghost is our power, our strength. We're transformers. We no longer exist. We no longer just take all that happens in the world and just receive it. But we're people that take what happens in the world and we're not held back by those circumstances because we are free in the Spirit of Jesus and we transform, we overcome. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. What a beautiful thing that is. His Spirit joins with our spirit, for His Spirit, verse 16, big S, joins with our spirit, little s, to affirm that we are God's children. Do you hear that still small voice? Do you hear the Spirit joining with your spirit, saying to you that you are God's children? Do you hear His voice? You are one of mine. You have been bought. You have been paid for. You are my child. You hear it when you drive to work in the morning. You, you'll, you hear it now. You'll hear it this afternoon. The Lord will remind you through His Spirit, you're one of His children. All you got to do is ask, Lord, am I one of your children? And sit and listen. He will reveal to you whether or not you are one of God's children. One of the main assignments of the Holy Spirit, big S, is to communicate with our spirit, little s, and to affirm in us that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. 
In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share in His suffering. We're never not called on to share in suffering. Christian people suffer. We suffer. We grieve. We hurt. We have great angst in life. There are all kinds of surprises that happen in life. All kinds. We're not exempt from surprises. We're not exempt from disasters and tragedies and horrible events. But because God is God and because we serve Him, because we're His children, because we're not held back by any of those events, we experience the fullness of God through those sufferings. We share in His suffering. The one that rose from the grave, we share in His suffering. It's an overcoming life. It's a life that lives beyond the ashes and beyond the pain and beyond the hurts. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. If you want to go home this afternoon and have a fun exercise, write down all the things that you have suffered lately and compare it with the glory of God in heaven. Compare it. Compare all the suffering now. Write it on down. Get it down on paper. Look at it. Observe it. Study it. Consider it. And understand that the Scripture tells us that what we are going through now in our suffering is nothing compared to the glory that He will reveal to us later. And so you take all the suffering that you have had, that others have had in Christ, and you put it all together, and you compare that with what we are going to taste, experience, touch, feel, live in heaven. And it fails in comparison. Man, that is an unbelievable hope. That's a great thing to look forward to. That ought a lot of fire. That ought to stoke us. That ought to cause us not to look at the circumstances. That ought to cause us not to look at the pains and sufferings. But in the midst of those pains and sufferings, just elevate our attention and focus to the glory of God. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation has subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. I'm not adopted. There's always a question whether or not my mom and dad wanted me. Kendall never had to think about that. 
I've had people talk about how difficult it is being adopted people, and, and I'm sure that is, and I'm sure that's something that I don't understand. But however, if we would understand the beauty of adoption, we would have to see the unbelievable choice that the mom and dad makes to choose that child. We are adopted into the family of God. That's the best. That's the best. Verse 24 says, We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already had something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, the hardest times for us to pray is when we're in great difficulties, right? When we're going through real hard times. I mean, when everything's going well, we got an idea of what we should pray for. We're thankful. We rejoice. We got that down. The gratitude, the thanksgiving, the rejoicing. Perhaps easier to worship, but it's a shallow worship oftentimes when everything is going good. However, when we've gone through real hard times, going through hard times, suffering is all around us, and it's a struggle, and we're not quite sure where the good is, and we're not quite sure where the end, the light is at the end of the tunnel, and there's a struggle going on. We don't know what to pray for. There's too much pain. There's too much hurt. There's too much unknown. What do we pray for? What do we pray for in this illness? What do we pray for in this setback? What do we pray for? Well, the Scripture says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When we go through real hard times, we have a wonderful gift available to us. When we stay before the Father long enough and the Holy Spirit begins to take over, He begins to reveal to us what He wants us to pray for. He begins to reveal to us His will, His desires. He shows us what to pray for. And as we begin to hear the Holy Spirit tell us what to pray for, it begins to open up our eyes to what God wants. And when we discover what God wants, it just lifts our spirit as we believe and we trust Him. He takes over in that prayer time. Even in our prayer life, He doesn't leave us hanging. He comes and He provides what we need. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit leads, pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Romans 8.28 It's a double-team verse. It's a big Sunday with a cherry on top verse. It's a good old bacon sandwich with ketchup on it verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Now, it doesn't say for their good. It says the good of those who love God. And so we have the promise here of knowing, regardless of what happens, it says that God causes everything 
So even in a shooting, even a great tragedy, even in a horrible illness, even in all those trials and difficulties and problems, God's never without option. He's always at work doing something good. Now, how can there be good out of that tragedy? I don't have a clue, but God does. It's not my clue that needs to write the future. It's God's work. It's His assignment. How is He going to turn all that into something that's good? Only He can do that. But He's who we trust for that. That's His assignment. That's what God does. It says it doesn't say that we come up with something, that we find what needs to happen. It says that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Boy, that's a reason why it's really important to love God. Don't be outside of God doing something good amongst tragedy. It's for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So this, this relationship that we enjoy by faith through the Holy Spirit has been on God's heart a long, long time. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him, and having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. Nothing better than right standing with God. That word is called justified. We are completely justified. It's a beautiful word that says, it's as if we've never been wrong with God. That's old Lee Brewer right there. He's right with God. He's never been wrong with God. He's justified through what Jesus has done for him on the cross. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since we did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one, for God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That calls for serious consideration, doesn't it? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Does it mean that God no longer loves us if we are persecuted, if we are hungry, if we have calamity, trouble, that verse of Scripture would have a great deal of different meaning if we had been there, don't you reckon? Where is God's love? Right there. Right in the middle. 
supreme, exalted. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelmed, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Many of us are going to be asked from time to time, how in the world can you believe in a God that allows that to happen? That's a good question outside of faith. It's a reasonable question outside of faith. Outside of faith, it seems to be accurate. How in the world could we be so foolish to believe in a God that would allow something like that to happen to people that trust in Him? However, by faith we understand that it shows how great His love is. It shows how wonderful He is. Because our present sufferings here is nothing compared to what He has provided for us. He allowed it to happen, sure enough. He could have stopped it, oh yeah. No question about that. There could have been all kind of intersections that God would have made possible to happen that would have kept that from taking place. Absolutely there could have been. But God chose to allow it to happen. And yet, He's still honorable because of what He's provided for us. You can second question God all you want, but look what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Look what He's made it possible for us. A place that provides for us no comparison to any present suffering that we have. And most likely, the present suffering that most of us have had in here, we can't really compare, but there's a few that perhaps could. If you put that suffering in comparison to the glory of God, which includes the salvation of His people, there's just nothing to compare it to. Overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming victory is ours. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? No. No. Does it mean He no longer loves us? No. It does not mean that He no longer loves us. If we have trouble, calamity, persecuted, hungry, destitute, danger, or threatened with death, it does not mean that He doesn't love us. It means that we have overwhelming victory in Him because there's nothing our flesh, the world, our enemies can take away from us because of what we have in Christ. And I am convinced that nothing can ever be separated from God's love. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
Let us rejoice in him this morning. You are worthy of your word. You have given us victory. We understand that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. We are grateful today to be able to announce before you, Lord, that we are indeed grateful for the truth that no suffering here compares to what we will receive in glory. Lord, we lift up Christian people to you all across this world who are hurting today, who are persecuted today, whose lives have been threatened today. Father, who are going through horrible, horrible tragedies today. We're thankful that you are clear that nothing separates us from your love. And although, Lord, there are so many things that happen that we don't understand, that we can't give an answer to, we know that you are always faithful to us. And your word is absolutely true. I lift up our people to you, Lord. I lift up the people of Southern Springs to you, Lord. I lift up the hurting people in our communities to you, Lord. May your will be done. May your kingdom come as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward, please.